Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's lesson from the Book of Romans, we begin a several-week study on the biblical teaching of justification, where God declares sinners to be righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 and join us as we continue to see how God's righteousness for the unrighteous is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Justification Part 1, the explanation of what justification is. God declares sinners to be righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The key word there is faith in Jesus Christ. So God declares sinners to be righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's justification explained. Now, that deserves some unpacking. And if you look at the volumes and volumes of theological works that have been written for really centuries and centuries in the church, this doctrine of justification deserves a little more weight and attention and definition than just that explanation. Even just yesterday, I was looking through a book and just dozens and dozens of pages just on understanding this doctrine of justification. And the understanding of justification in some respects throughout the history of the church, depending on the theological perspective, has been a little bit different. But uh, the perspective that I hold to, that I really do believe Scripture supports, is defined in the ways that we'll walk through in these next few minutes. So hopefully we can deepen our understanding of justification. And we have a lot of... uh, of record from Martin Luther as someone who really thought a lot about this, and his reflection upon this doctrine of justification really transformed his life, and it has transformed the history of the church ever since, over 500 years ago. So uh, let's just think about justification, defining it just a little bit more as the imputation of the righteousness of God to the believer in Jesus Christ. Let's let's unpack that little by little here because those are some big words. First of all, God's righteousness. That goes back to our very first week when we learned that what that means is that God is perfectly upright in who he is and perfectly right in what he does. His very nature and all of his actions are righteous and just and they are perfect. So we think about that true righteousness can only originate from God because only God is the one who's truly righteous. You and I, we are not. We are unrighteous. We are sinners by birth and by nature. So to know that God's perfect righteousness has been, that word, imputed to us through faith in Jesus Christ is a big deal. That means there's a fundamental shift in our spiritual condition as we move from death to life from being these unrighteous sinners who are now declared to be righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. The idea of imputation, because that's a word that we don't often use. Does anyone go around the, the office or around your house and talk about imputation a lot? I, I, Greg does it all the time. Right, right. Uh, thank you, Greg. Imputation, we can understand, is the crediting of God's righteousness to the account, in quotes, that is the spiritual account of the believer in Jesus Christ. 
So you can think about it from this perspective, since we, we understand finance and banking to a degree. Let's consider ourselves before Christ as having a bank account where we were spiritually bankrupt. We were definitely in the red, big time. And now God's righteousness has been credited to our spiritual account so that we have an unlimited an infinite magnitude of the riches of his righteousness, which has now been declared to be true of us in Christ, spiritually speaking. Now, what we're not saying is that we are made righteous. What we're not saying is that we are made righteous by faith. Like You and I, we are still sinners, but now we have a new identity. We are those who are saints who still struggle with sin. And yes, there is a process through which and by which we are transformed to be more like Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we avail ourselves more to Him in surrender and humility through the disciplines of the Word and prayer and community. But that transformation process is commonly called sanctification. Sanctification is different than justification because sanctification can fluctuate. And if you're honest with yourself, just as I have to be honest with myself, I'm up and down in my spiritual journey. That's because my sanctification and your sanctification is progressive and, and fluctuating, but justification is an instantaneous change where by faith we move from death to life, where God's righteousness is credited to our account by faith in Jesus Christ. Justification is considered by many like a legal declaration in the court of law where God is the judge and he stands up and he reads the verdict and declares, we are innocent, we are righteous, we are forgiven. And the gavel is laid down and there's no turning back. And that is good news, guys, right? Amen? We are justified by faith. Bruce, uh, Bruce Demarest, who wrote a book called The Cross and Salvation, writes this, We define justification as God's gracious legal verdict in respect of those who believe in Christ, forgiving their sins, and declaring them righteous through the imputation of Christ's righteousness. We find in 1 Corinthians 5.21, Scripture that supports this doctrine of justification for our sake, he made him, that is God made Christ, to be sin, or to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in Christ, by faith, we might have the righteousness of God credited to our spiritual bank account. And that is an incredible blessing. So this relates, this idea of justification relates to this reality of the righteousness of God. Paul actually has been preparing us for this section of the letter from the very beginning of the letter. If you have a copy of your Bible, you can flip back to Romans chapter 1 and read these key verses which outline the theme of the book from verses 16 and 17, where Paul writes, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And now Paul is going to dive a little bit deeper into this doctrine of justification and what it means for the righteous to live by faith and to be declared righteous by faith. So as we look at our outline now on the back side of your page and look at these verses from Romans 3, 21 through 31, the first point is that righteousness is by or through faith. So I will read verses 21 through 26 of Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God, there's our phrase, the righteousness of God. Remember, God being perfectly right in who he is, righteous in who he is, and perfectly right in all that he does. The righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, we'll talk about that word, a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. A few points to point out in this this portion of Scripture. Some actually view verses 21 through 23 as the real heart of the whole book of Romans. Certainly, this is central to Paul's argument and what he's communicating through this great book. But key words that we should not miss are righteous or justified, which appears seven times. Faith or believe, which appears four times. God's righteousness must be received by faith in Christ. There is no other way to have God's righteousness deposited to our spiritual bank account. We can't work for it. We can't be good enough. We can't give enough money. We can't go to um, church enough or take communion enough or be baptized enough. None of that earns us this righteousness. It is solely God's gift to be received by faith. We find an interesting phrase to start this off, but now. Scholars will note that oftentimes, but now is language that's used, especially in Paul, to start a definition of a clear understanding of what God is doing in his work of salvation in the history of humanity. And clearly, through Jesus Christ, God's saving work took a a new turn as his kingdom was continuing to move forward. And that is why Christ is so central to this book of Romans, as Paul is indicating, but now something new has happened. Uh, The truth is God's wrath and our deserving condemnation has been the theological focus of our previous several weeks, right? We talked about the condemnation of the world, the condemnation of the Jew, the condemnation of everybody, apart from the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But now, Paul is really unfolding the good news of the gospel. God's righteousness has been made manifest. That word usually refers to something that has been dim, but is now brightly lit up and clear. And we see that 
God's righteousness is apart from the works of the law. It can't be obtained through the obedience to the law. But the law and the prophets actually pointed forward to this righteousness of God displayed and made possible through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ was prophesied to as the, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, the great messianic king who would bring this righteousness and usher in this movement of God's kingdom. That was all prophesied and foretold in the law and the prophets. We get to an interesting phrase in verse 22, where the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Scholars have sort of debated a little bit about should that phrase faith in Jesus Christ be rendered faith in Jesus Christ or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And this might cause some to get concerned. Well, well, does that mean that it's not about faith in Jesus Christ? Well, no, it still is. It's for all who believe. But some scholars take that to mean, as, uh, as we would understand, that the faithfulness of Jesus Christ is the foundation for why we can actually be declared righteous through justification, and that our faith in Jesus Christ is what allows for that to happen. The truth is, this is how God's righteousness is experienced. It's experienced through faith in and also because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We fall short of God's holy standards every day, falling short of His glory. Romans 3.23 is often appropriately used as a verse that affirms total depravity and the fact that you and I will never match up to God's standard of holiness no matter how often we try because we fail to reflect His character, His glory, and His reign. And we will never meet the standard on our own, which is why God saw us in our estate but now and sent Jesus so that we might have the opportunity to be declared righteous. By the way, when Paul writes that all um, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, he's being very exclusive here. And when he continues on by saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are being justified by his grace as a gift, Paul is not proclaiming a universal salvation for everybody. Yes, everybody is universally condemned apart from Christ, but only those who receive Jesus by faith are those who are declared righteous by that faith. So hear me say, Paul is not saying, he, Paul is saying all are condemned. Paul is not saying all are saved. The key condition for that salvation for all of us and anyone in the world that wants to be saved is faith in Jesus Christ. Some, some may be saying, well, why, is, why is he talking so much about faith in Jesus? And it reminds me of, um, I think it was Martin Luther. You hear these stories and you're not sure is that something that actually happened in history or is that just something that was used as a sermon illustration that got extrapolated and is now sort of de deemed as canonical. But um, one time Martin Luther, I think, was asked, you preach about the love of God every week. Why do you preach about the love of God every week? And allegedly, his response was, because my people need to hear about the love of God every week. And I think for me, as Dale is good to remind me, preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to continue to do that so that we might be the people that God wants us to be. So that's why we keep talking about faith in Jesus Christ. While all are equally sinful and equally uh, equally condemned, 
All can only be justified by faith. So the word propitiation, which appears there in verse 25, as God puts, uh, Jesus was put forward as a propitiation. It's a hard word for me to even say. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. But uh, that word can be uh, atoning sacrifice, a place of satisfaction, or even the mercy seat. As you look at Hebrews 9.5, where it's also used uh, only two times in the New Testament, here and in Hebrews 9.5, but that mercy seat being the idea of that top of the Ark of the Covenant where the priest on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which actually was just celebrated back on October the 4th of this year in the Jewish faith, where the priest would universally sprinkle this mercy seat with blood from a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the whole nation. We see beautiful language here that Paul is using to refer to Jesus as this place of satisfaction. Jesus as the mercy seat. Jesus as the atoning sacrifice on the cross when he died and shed his blood for you and me. And in that moment, God's wrath was deflected from us upon Jesus. It's very similar to the Passover in Exodus 12 where the Israelites in faith spread blood on the doorposts of their homes in Egypt And the angel of death came by and passed over, and God's wrath and the plague did not hit the the homes of those Israelites because they trusted in the blood, and God's wrath was deflected from them away. And Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb, and he has absorbed the wrath that we deserved because he is the atoning sacrifice or propitiation for our sins. And in this way, God's righteousness was shown. That is amazing to me that God initiated this plan of salvation for you and me. Now, Paul also writes in the text that God passed over or overlooked sins in the past. Now, this is different from forgiving those sins in the past. That is because God was waiting for the, the right time, but now, so that Jesus might be sent, so that he would be the perfect atoning sacrifice once and for all for those who believed. It's as if uh, the Old Testament sacrifices, while they offered temporary forgiveness, were sort of like paying for something on a credit card. I read this illustration yesterday. It made sense to me. When we pay for something on credit, all we've done is we've gotten something, but we still owe. We still ultimately owe that money that we borrowed on credit, right? And the bill's gotten really big, (laughs) infinitely big. And now God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has paid it completely through the sacrifice of His Son. This great act showed His righteousness to the world because He is just and both the one who justifies or declares righteous those who believe in the faithful work of Jesus Christ. That is faith, righteousness by or through faith. We move to the final verses, the law of faith verses 27 through 31, which we will read now. What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but, and that's a strong um, conjunction there, a strong um, but, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, 
who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. That's Paul's phrase again, meganoita, which is used ten times throughout this letter. By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So, uh, Paul begins to unfold the ramifications of justification by faith in Jesus Christ in these verses and the chapters that follow through chapter 5. We have no grounds for boasting, okay? None of us should be spiritually arrogant to think that we brought anything to the table. Paul even indicates, yes, you can obey the law, but that's not going to get you there because, by the way, you're not obeying the law as is perfect. So we have no grounds for boasting in our justification. We did nothing. This is solely because of his grace through our faith in Jesus Christ as we received that gift. This is the law of faith that is separate from the law of works. They are diametrically opposed to one another. As you see there on your sheet, justification only comes through faith apart from the works or the good deeds of obedience to the law. And that is why both Jew and Gentile are both saved by faith, which is why Paul writes, the circumcised are justified by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So faith is a common denominator for experiencing this justification, this salvation. God is one of both Jew and Gentile alike. Therefore, he has provided one means for justification or righteousness, salvation and acceptance. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's theoretical opponents, we've seen this earlier in some of our other chapters. Again, think about Paul as, as a lawyer in a courtroom pleading the case, maybe even presenting a long closing argument, or maybe it's an opening argument about why this is all true about who we are in Christ. He anticipates some opponents bringing more objections and false deductions about what he has just argued they say, well, should the, then do we overthrow the law? That word overthrow in verse 31 could mean, do we just do away with it? Do we cause it to cease? Do we make it inoperative? And Paul emphasizes, no, by no means. The law still has value, and the law still has a purpose. But the most important facet is our faith, because our faith is not in the law. Our faith is not in our ability to keep the law. But our faith is in the lawgiver himself, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, through his Son, Jesus Christ. And the law, since it cannot justify, serves to remind and reveal to us that we are sinners in need of justification, in need of God's righteousness, since we fall short and have failed, failed righteousness on our own. So as we think about applying these verses from Romans 3, 21 through 33, or 31, Let's be reminded that the big idea of justification explained is that God declares sinners to be righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As a result of that, number one, justification shows that we have no hope, that we're there, hope in the blank. We have no hope apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. No hope at all. Were it not for the good news of Jesus as the king who's coming, has come, has been crucified for us and raised for us, and is coming again to usher in a new phase of God's kingdom, were it not for Christ, woe be to us. 
I am so grateful for our Savior because we are guilty, deserving indictment. But through Christ, we have acquittal. We deserve death, but we have Christ's righteousness and life through faith. We deserve condemnation, which is what the past four weeks or so have all been about in our study. But we have justification and salvation, which is where we're headed in these next few weeks of our study. Jesus, who he is and what he has accomplished, is the grounds for our justification. He lived the perfect life in obedience to the law. And that included obedience unto death, whereby he paid the penalty that we owed. And we have been fully accepted, having a righteous standing before God because of the faithful saving work of Jesus and our faith in him. That's an amen. Amen? amen. That is good news. We've already noted uh, on your sheet earlier uh, about... 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But I was looking at a resource this week and I came across the words of Jeremiah 23.5 and 6, which really uh, it humbled me and it reminded me that, that this was God's plan all along. Jeremiah writing you know, in the 6th century, the fall of Jerusalem, and yet those over 600 years before Jesus was even born wrote these words prophetically about Jesus who would come. As God says to his people, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That takes us back to Romans 1, where Jesus is the son of David according to the flesh, right? And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That's a powerful prophecy about Jesus that he clearly came to fulfill. And as we see Paul connecting some of those theological and historical dots, it is amazing to know God's plan of salvation for you and for me by grace that we receive by faith. Note that this righteousness and hope only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And for guys here, I know lots of you don't know everybody well. For those who may be joining us online later, if you have not come to the place where you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, admitted your need as a sinner for His grace and forgiveness and salvation, you can trust in Him right now and say, Lord, I desire to follow you, and I believe in your son, Jesus, that he died for me and was raised for me. And when you're in that moment of faith, you are justified through that faith, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. If you want to talk more about that afterwards, please let me know. We find that without faith in Christ, we have no justification, no salvation, no hope. Without the gospel, we have no hope. But thankfully, we do. Which leads us to point number two. Justification means that we have great freedom because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great freedom. Justification is a key piece of this salvation that we experience through Christ. But it also offers great freedom to us. Because in Christ, and we'll, we'll talk about this more as we get even into Romans chapter 6, but we have a new identity 
a new citizenship. And because of that, in Christ, we have freedom from rejection. We know that we have the assurance of our acceptance, right? Romans 5.1, which we'll get to. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's great freedom. In Christ, we have freedom from fear. When you're accepted, you're not condemned. You have no reason to be afraid. In Christ, we have freedom from guilt. In Christ, we have freedom from shame. It's been handled at the cross, gentlemen. In Christ, we have freedom from perfectionism, which I know, if you're like me, it'll drive me crazy. And I need freedom from that too, because we're fully loved, fully accepted, fully justified. And that means that in Christ, we have freedom to live lives of surrender and obedience and a loving response to him who loved us so much. I remember Fred's message, if you were with us last week, where he he said so uh, powerfully, in Christ, we have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to fear. A final quotation from William R. Newell. But if we are in Christ in such an absolute way that Christ himself has been made unto us righteousness, we are immediately relieved from the need of having any standing. Because we know, as Fred said last week, we know who we are because we know whose we are. The quote continues, Christ is our standing, Christ himself. And Christ being the righteousness of God, we being thus utterly and vitally in Christ before God, have no other place but in him. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash mensbreakfast. I hope you'll join us again for our next installment in our study of the Book of Romans. Until then, know that you have been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless and have a great week.